Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Debbie Does Dallas of Extreme Metal Podcasts. <laughs> I am the death metal guy, aka forcing the employee at Guitar Center to get the most expensive Gibson Les Paul off the wall so I can play Vaughn riffs at a deafening volume on a Spider Line 6 practice amp. Sounds great. Uh, <laughs> and I am the black metal guy, a.k.a. Bog Mutton. <laughs> a gamey meat indeed. <laughs> yes, a, a peasant delicacy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, is that gator meat? Because we were talking about gators mm. before we got in. Bog Mutton would be a good name for that. That's true, that's true. Well, it, to qualify as Bog Mutton, it actually has to have been... Um, it has to have been seasoned in a bog for at least three seasons. <laughs> I mean, I, I, aren't you just describing the the the, 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 the British diet in general at that yeah, point? <laughs> basically. All right, back from spring break. How was yours? <laughs> oh, I got literal COVID. <laughs> just like over winter break, I got COVID. <laughs> it was it was your time. Yeah. What what uh, what, what uh, version did you get? Um, I got the uh, Mecha Gaidora strain. <laughs> um, well, no, it was actually Delta, wasn't it? I don't I don't know. I didn't check. I I mean I've I. I tested positive a couple times, and, uh, you know, it lingered. You know, it was lingered for an annoyingly long amount of time. Uh, about, like, you know, I was I was visiting my girlfriend, and we both got it. Uh, you know, of, of course, who would I rather have COVID with? <laughs> but, um, but it was, uh, you know, it sort of it stuck around for a long time for both of us. Uh, but, like, you know, the most annoying part was just the being tired. Um, yeah. But yeah, but yeah, I never like checked the version, and I would have had to like check the news uh, to figure out what strain it was supposed to be. Well, it's it, it even more persistent than Delta. Yeah, well, I mean, you can tell because Delta's more of like a body high, and Omicron's a little bit more trippy and mental, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was a that was a fucking delayed forced laugh. There. Well, I'm I'm great. I'm glad we're back. <laughs> well, okay, so we gotta we gotta get back into this shit. Episode eighty nine. Big things coming, folks. Lots of uh, big records coming down the pipe. But uh, we got some smaller releases this time that'll uh, still uh, hopefully uh, wet the appetites of everyone for things to come. Um. So to start off, a little mini review up front. Uh, last year, we covered the fourth full-length record by a band called Luminous Veil. It was called uh, Vespers for the Lumen Lane. And that was kind of um, an oddball, mostly post-black metal band that had a lot of other interesting features, a lot of kind of... Uh, traditional doom stuff going on melodically some electronic stuff it was it was pretty interesting and uh they kind of caught the attention of uh, some of our listeners especially in the discord um so they've done a couple eps this year but i wanted to talk quickly about the newest one called halcyon tyrannus uh which is released on Wiltshine, which i think is their imprint uh i'm not positive but it's out of wisconsin like luminous veil uh Wiltshine has also released Actually, some stuff from other bands that we've covered on the show. Like, they did the cassette version of the uh, Vixenta L-Crossed split. Uh, Luminous Veil did a split with a band called Till and uh, Oppressive Descent, 
uh, last year. Mm. Uh, so that was also released on Wilchine. But now we've got a Halcyon Tyrannus. So I decided to check this one out because I thought that record last year was pretty interesting. I mean, this is a band that's only been around for a few years and they put out a lot of materials. So it's interesting to check back with guys like that and see how they iterate on the sound. Um, so uh, this is about half an hour long. A good chunk of it is dedicated to a, a pretty nifty sort of synth ambient track, but of course that's impossible to sample, so we'll, I'll just say it's good and we'll move on from there. Um, but as far as the black metal material goes, it was pretty interesting to listen to this in contrast with the Vespers record from last year. Um, Vespers was almost kind of deliberately clean and sterile, um, very very mechanized, very um, music of the internet age, in a way. Yeah, very aggressively digital production, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Halcyon Tyrannus is way gloomier and more lo-fi and more blown out with reverb and delay. So it's a, a huge shift in just kind of sound presentation. Um Materially, the, the building blocks of these songs are pretty similar to what we heard on Vespers, but the production and the execution of them is so radically different, it gives it an altogether pretty different vibe. Um, now, in terms of describing how it comes off, um, it's just because it's so blown out, you get more of a sense of post-black or kind of Instagram tape black. But the actual material is, yeah, there's the post-black in there, but the other thing is that Luminous Veil are really good at just writing solid, uh, kind of traditional black metal riffs as well, and, uh, you know, just adding some of their own novel ideas uh, into some of these songs. So let's listen to the second track on this record called Pine, which is my favorite. We'll listen to a chunk of that. So what you're going to hear is, yeah, extremely indulgent sort of post-rock derived melodic ideas, but they kind of go so far with them, they come out the other side as a, a sort of like a, almost summoning style triumphant melodies mm. executed over blast beats with a lot of really chiming synth patches that makes me wonder if they're actually listening to uh, Mulder Yawn, who we've covered uh, a couple records mm -hmm. from. So we'll check this one out. Yeah. <laughs> 
so uh, I really like that section because, yeah, they're using some of the most kind of like intensely sweet post-rock melodies. But the, the way they arrange it, you know, just kind of the way they're paced out sort of re-injects those into a, a kind of like actual black metal structural conceit. This is this is post-black in the sense that, yeah, obviously you've got this tremendous influence from, you know, all sorts of like rock subgenres, but the way these songs are delivered and the way riffs are structured and the way things get laid out is, I think, actually closer to traditional black metal than a lot of the post-black bands are. Yeah, I mean... I basically liked that, I have to say. I think I'm, I liked I'm genuinely it. surprised. I thought you were going to fucking hate this. <laughs> you know, it's... I, I hated the last one, I remember. Um, the, like, I really didn't like the last record. I remember it had some really... It had some moments of quite, like, good and interesting kind of elaborate doom riffing, but the, cons- the production was kind of interfering with it. Um, I gotcha, yeah. Uh... But this one is, uh, I mean, this feels more straight ahead in a lot of ways. It's not, um, the last one felt very deliberately eccentric. Uh, passages like this, at least, feel, uh, you know, that's a fully developed sequence of ideas that is uh, much closer, yeah, much closer to just, like, streaming black metal guitar. Um Chord wise, you know, yeah, they're post rock chords. It's a little like Mogwai or something, but yeah. um, but uh, but also a bit like I don't know something like a Pregnant Light, um, yeah, or a bit like Winter Filleth. Yeah, um, the the biggest kind of most major key moments of Winter Filleth, definitely the most lush sentimental moments on Winter Filleth when they actually pull it off. Yeah, um, which can be hit or miss, depending on yes, the record. Yes, the parts I don't... Yes, sometimes they do that and I hate it. Sometimes they do that and it really sort of wins me over. Uh, and I, I found this, honestly, pretty winning. You know, it was kind of a feel-good hit of the summer kind of vibe. Um, and, uh, um, you know, part of that is the continually high intensity, right? It's pretty mm-hmm. fast-picking. Uh, they're also just, like, good versions of those chords, and they're not the black the black metal stuff is all in the arrangement and delivery. As far as the cording, there's well, it's like he's in a post rock context. A lot of those melodies would be delivered as more uh, individual single note melodic lines, mm-hmm. um, or with arpeggios or something like that. Um, there's sort of body in the chords under them that you'd is more of a black metal thing. Yeah. And um, there's just there's a ton not, of, there's just a ton of layering going on too. Yeah, I mean, you've got like three different synth voices added yeah, to the body. Exactly. He's not relying on reverb to create body for the music. Mm-hmm. Um and nor are these re- the kind of really florid melodies that are becoming popular in underground BM. They're kind of just sequences of chords. Mm-hmm. Uh it's it's not like a sixteen note riff, um, so uh, you know I I think I I'll give that one a pass. I, okay. I think it uh I think it move I think like um. Uh, also, I really liked the kind of off time. He delivers similar phrases with different rhythmic 
uh, structures in a pretty cool way. Do, at the begin towards the beginning when it goes out of the straight blast, there's a kind of like does it like a six beat phrase? Is a six, there's a phrase that's like a six and a seven. And mm-hmm. then immediately goes back into six and maybe seven again, and then it just flattens out into triplets. There's really pretty cool rhythmic variation happening under that that's uncommon in black metal. Yeah, and that's that's mm. pretty consistent across. But becoming more, to be fair, becoming more common. Yeah, it it is, and that's mm-hmm. that's pretty consistent across the black metal material on this EP. Is that, you know, relatively simple melodic mm-hmm. lines that get contorted with one really big elaborate chord phrasing, huh. and two these little rhythmic inflections that give them a little bit more dimension. Oh, um, he's able to change direct. He's able to pivot rhythmically without breaking the continuum of the trem and blasting, mm-hmm. uh, without breaking momentum. Uh, and I think that is really difficult and cool. Uh, and another band that did that well, really just in one or two points on the record, because it's much deliberately much more simple music, but is Oppressive Descent, who I guess this guy did a split with. Yeah, but yeah. But Oppressive Descent started off the last record. One thing I loved about it is it just went in from like a, you know, big blast riff and in the middle of it changed to triplets and changed the riff. Yeah. It's um, <laughs> uh, like without, without breaking stride, right? Um, Which, if you think about it, is like a really traditional kind of Scandinavian technique. We yeah, just no, forgot it, about it for a long time. No, no but you, he did it while blasting. It yeah. wasn't the shift to like, it wasn't the whap, dung, da da dung, dung, da da dung, dung, da da dung. It was like, you know, straight 4 4 blasting into immediately into triplet blasting. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, Scandinavian bands would do that for sure. Like, I guess if you're Sacramentum or something, right? Mm-hmm. You'd barrel through a 4-4 and then change to a triplet blast. But there'd be, like, a drum fill. Yeah, right? there'd be something announcing it. <laughs> this was, like, continue, right? And maybe the riff would change in a dramatic way. This was just, like, continuous. Uh, but, yeah, so this is, that. you know, I, I found I, that won me over. And uh, in winning me over... Uh, it reminds me of a certain other uh, well-executed sentimental black metal project that I believe you're about to mention. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so this this EP, um, it, it, it's like three original black metal songs that are all kind of in the similar vein to Pine. I just think Pine's the best executed. Then you've got the, the long, sprawling ambient track. And then we got to close out, you know, apart from a, a little outro piece, with a cover a black metal reinterpretation of Kektorok's one non-black metal song off the no. last record, which is Swordsman. <laughs> well, here you go, buddy. I've got the version of Swordsman you can tolerate. So. All right, let's see. Um, yeah, my yeah. my least favorite Kektorok track. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah.
So if you if you if you flatten swordsman out into uh, a black metal song, you realize oh, it's just like it's like an amateur song or something, you know. Still feels like getting my sword flattened. <laughs> I, All right. I, I I just think it's 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 fun to hear. You know, it's like okay, so you take the one non-black metal song off that, turn it back into a black metal song, and what's the effect of it? It's like it still ends up being like kind of a post-rock song ultimately. Yeah, you can't you can't defeat the uh, <laughs> you you can't defeat those chord changes, um, or rather, you can't make them good. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I was kind of I was kind of with it for the beginning of it, right? I was like, okay. I, it was cool hearing him imit. He's kind of imitating Kectorok's guitar style there, sort of chiming it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was cool. And it's like, okay, well, this is like an you know, this is this is an emo song, but like it's 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 I'll, I'll buy it. And then yeah. it did something in the middle where it just went when it all, hits the chorus. Yeah, it just went all super fruity again. Um, <laughs> and you know, and after that point, I was I was lost. You, um, and, but at least it doesn't have auto tune. <laughs> well, well, what I think is interesting, especially with that kind. Con- okay, so you turn this back into a black metal song, it becomes like a post rock emo song. But more to the point, I'm interested in, I guess, the question to toss up is, especially just since we've been doing the show, you know, periodically covering sort of post-black metal bands. I'd say Mm -hmm. Luminous Veil is one of the ones furthest on the side of post-black that we've Mm -hmm. covered. Sure. But listening to the difference of post-black of at least the bands we're covering versus the kind of stuff that we were just infected with in like the early 2010s. Mm Mm-hmm. Have we finally gotten to the point where kind of post-black technique has been flattened out and incorporated in that we can use these things in more traditional black metal ways without it seeming completely disjointed? I mean, uh, I mean, I think we're certainly at the point where people are making things that are obviously post-black that don't suck. Right. I mean, it, it took a while, but yeah, yeah we it, are. It t- yeah, like so in that category, you could group this in terms of things we've covered like that. You could group this with, um, uh, you know, you probably like this project a bit better than me. We could group that with Sertraline, which I think I liked a bit better than you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but this is some of uh, this reminds me a lot of uh, Sertraline as well in terms of stuff that is, uh very fully engaged the non-black metal side of things while mm-hmm. finding um uh f- finding ways to incorporate black metal influence that are not so obvious hey it's Kari from sepulchre curse and i'm yaku you're listening to terminus All right, and we are back from debating the uh, you know, theological merits of the God of War games to uh, review A Monument in Darkness by Concilium on Iron Bonehead. So, um, on the Facebook page, there has been a, a, a long stand, or, or about us description for a long time has been something the death metal guy wrote, which is, uh, <laughs> say it. Oh, uh, heated opinions on Chilean war metal. And obviously we had to have this on the show because it is literally Chilean war metal. (laughs) But, 
Um, not really. And that brings us into it. Um, I think the impression I got from the press release and from an initial listen was that these guys were kind of pulling on, you, pulling on every strain of non-second wave type black metal and black death stuff from the early 90s and that's kind of true but on more listens it really doesn't sound particularly retro i think when you get sort of latin american blasty black death right you're thinking cogumelo or goat penis or whatever mm-hmm. and i'm sure cogumelo is a reference point here but it, it it's not really at the center um the Production is quite different. This isn't uh, produced to bash you over the head or engulf you in noise. Um, It's uh, a kind of uh, murky and heavily recessed production. Um, Things are set back in various ways. Uh, And overall, this comes across as much more like the... um, the Hessian firm dark metal idea or the cryptic metal idea that Brandon Corsair has talked about. Um, mm-hmm. This kind of, um, uh, you know, I mean, this this sort of, uh, this stuff that resists the Black Death divide and that has a kind of, uh, you know, maybe a kind of a death metal heft to it. Uh, and death metal technique, but the kind of uh, elusive, the kind of strange, uh, ineffable mystic atmospheres you get in black metal, mm-hmm. right? And at a at a formally, what that means uh, with you know a good example of the the cryptic thing would be like um, uh, really early septic flesh or uh, the first few rotting Christ records. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rotting Christ is definitely a reference point on this, um, but uh, uh, you know a lot of a, a lot of that idea has to do with this kind of like percussive guitar technique, um, strange murky production, and uh, you know big consonant heavy metal riffs used in a kind of uh, spooky or droning way. Um, and this record has all of those things. Um, it also has a bunch of uh, kind of more standard blasty Black Death stuff uh, or war metally parts. And uh, I think we both agree those are actually not the center of gravity here and kind of the weak links. Yeah. It's, analyzing this record is, is kind of a challenge just because this is sort of a grab bag of different things. Um mm-hmm. Not, not in the sense that it sounds, you know, super eclectic or, you know, they're randomly switching genres, but rather it's just there's such a multitude of death and black and even thrash influences these guys are pulling on um, that it becomes kind of difficult to tell what the center of it is. Um, I, I think that you identify uh, certain parts in your own way. The thing that kept hitting me on this was certain parts of like mid to late 90s death metal specifically like euro death metal mm-hmm. and really zeroing in on some of the mid-era dismember records uh mm-hmm. especially like death metal or to a lesser extent massive killing capacity where 
death metal bands were seeing the upswing uh, in uh, kind of Gothenburg style Melodeth mm-hmm. and started folding in some of those ideas without committing to the conceit uh, of, you know, doing the melodic thing all the time. But incorporating some of those, you know, headier, more directly Iron Maiden inspired uh, Melodeth riffs. Uh, and you'll hear a lot of that across this record. You've definitely got these blasty kind of war metal parts, but in a sense, they feel almost perfunctory to me at, at certain points of this record. It feels like the uh, where the heart of this band lies is in the admittedly like really well-developed, really interesting kind of lead guitar-driven stuff. The most melodic moments on this record seem to be what these songs are really anchored in. Um, and I think for the most part, they stick the landing on those really elaborate melodic parts. However, I also get the sense that like structurally, some of these songs are, are such a straight line to those big melodic parts. It, it sort of flattens everything out and maybe it doesn't give the heft to those grittier, more war metal parts that maybe they need. Yeah. So, um, yeah, some of that Black Death riffing is well executed, but it definitely seems, it's definitely playing second fiddle to other stuff. And I think one question would be, could it be made to work? Where does it work better? And could it be made to work better as part of the formula? Um, so I, I think, I, since I saw your notes, I've, I've thought like, okay, can I hear the Dismember here? And I think I can. I don't know those later Dismember records, right? Mm-hmm. But I can definitely find parts that sound like, like an ever-flowing stream. I think something that struck me that I told you was, uh, in addition to this kind of um, uh, highly, you know, uh, consonant, melodic, cryptic stuff, um, there's much more straight-up death metal than you would expect on something that's like a... that you might have thought or assumed was a black... you know, a war metal or a black death record. There are just riffs on here that sound kind of like incantation. Yeah. Whatever, right? Um, uh, or maybe like blasted versions of the more abrasive sweet death riffing. Or um, just, you know, the most death metal parts of Slayer. I think there's a lot of thrash tucked away on this yeah. as well. Oh, no, thrash is huge here. And thrash is important for the the, the cryptic metal sound. Um, mm-hmm. So let's get to that. Um, the thing that I think is the, the, the sort of elephant in the room here is that we I've been waiting for it forever, but I think this is the first band I've ever heard that has a... where it's like... I don't know if it was supposed to be the main reference point for the band, but certainly, like, its centers of gravity on this record all orbit around Armored Angel. And it is the first band I've heard that, like, really seems to be deliberately playing Armored Angel riffs. Um, Armored Angel being Australia's uh, answer to this kind of um, uh, uh, mystical Hellenic sound, right? Um they started as a speed metal band. They started as a kind of like extreme speed metal band and kind of kept a lot of those big heavy metal, uh, glorious heavy metal melodies, but then just got more and more like uh, into um, the killing joke and bolt thrower. So you get just this like massive rolling mid-tempo grooves with uh, 
strangely lush melodic playing over it, but um, uh, all very minimal. And so it, 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 there's absolutely zero black metal parts, but the mood is very black metal. Um, this band, the best parts on this record are like that. So we both picked sampled stuff from Moonlight Negredo, which is towards the end of the record. And I think that will give a good sense of the, uh, you know, sort of the range, the ra basic range of sounds here, but especially these sort of, uh, the big riffs that are um, sort of maybe stealing the show here. first couple riffs on that sample you can definitely hear being kind of dismembery um, yeah. especially that kind of winding chromatic arpeggio stuff at the very beginning and even when it starts that sort of more dissonant double bass part it's kind of you could hear it being dismembery mm -hmm. um then right we get the the dropout and the suspense for the entry of the big riff right which is this kind of it's a it's just a straight straight rolling chug riff double bass chug riff with a uh or a, a sick kind of uh glistening arpeggio turnaround at the end uh dun there's like a big octave leap i can't even hum it right dun um Right, and it's it's kind of patterned structurally. It's more like a thrash riff than anything, right? In the same way that you've pointed out, Bolt Thrower really just sounds much more like Slayer than any other quote death metal band. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, so keep that riff in your head, and let's do a side by side comparison with the uh, what's probably like Armored Angel's calling card song, Enigmatized, which I've actually played on an interlude to this show like a year ago mm -hmm. or more. But uh, we're going to sample the a bit over the first minute of this track, uh, first minute and 15. This is from the Mysterium EP in 1994. <laughs>
unfortunately you have to stop driving your tank-like vehicle really slow because uh, now we have to talk about the sample. Um, uh, yeah, it's the so, same exa- Yeah, you heard it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially... Well, I, I, the- what? Well, I was just going to say, I, I think it's because, you know, at, at the root of both of those bands is um, is really both Thrash and Bolt Thrower. Because, and mm-hmm. I'm glad that you brought up Bolt Thrower because I think that's a pretty central thing to Concilium also. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, like, I mean, this this track is basically, I mean, that's basically a quote of the Enigmatized riff. Not not note for note at all, right? But like yeah, They do their own turnaround, but the, the whole conceit of it's the same. Yes, the match was especially close to that last riff, the sort of, like, release riff after the chorus. Right? Yeah, so Concilium write a version of that kind of turnaround riff that's the center of the show. Um, and, uh, yeah, the bolt thrower thing is huge. Uh, so I'm a, I've always been an armored angel booster. You know, I mention them whenever I can on the show. Uh, it's awesome to hear a band engaging with it directly and doing it in a way that's more than just like a a kind of a, a cheap worship project, right? Or an attempt to pull one over people by, you know, by cloning an old band and presenting it as original, right? That's not what's going on here, right? There's a lot of other stuff in this band's sound. They've modernized the production a lot, and the musician... Armored Angel are subtle musicians, but uh, it's deliberately primitive and reductive music. Mm -hmm. This, you know, uh, Concilium is a lot more... uh, Concilium are willing to put a lot more notes in riffs and things like that. Um, So, uh, it's... You know, they're doing their own thing, and the idea of, okay... Armored Angel, as part of this Australian trajectory of sort of thrash-based extreme music, right, is part of the Aussie war metal history, right? It's not a war metal band, but it's very close to them, and they were playing the kind of music that evolved into Bestial Warlust or whatever. Back in Mm -hmm. the, you know, the sort of speed metal shit they were doing in the 80s becomes D666. Yeah. Um, uh, So, okay, what if we take that and we install that in a broader Black Death canvas, Right or you know with the the full Black Death palette and like more actual death metal and shit. Uh, that's a good idea. Um, but yeah, I think. Um, but you know, yeah, this band is still figuring out how to do that. Um, you've got something for the end of this song. Yeah, uh, I wanted to get to the end lo- end of a uh, Moonlight Negredo. Uh, so here's a good example of the lead-driven melodic. So you're going to hear some of the same stuff that we heard in your sample because this is kind of one of those songs that sort of plays itself twice. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it sort of... It starts at the end, works through some middle bridging passages, and then it reverses itself on the way out. Mm -hmm. Um, But here, I think it's a good example of them doing the, the installation of the more melodic stuff better than on some of the other songs. On some of the other songs, the transition from the more chromatic stuff to the you know, melodic lead driven work can be kind of abrupt, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and not just in like a cool neck snapping turnaround way, but a, a kind of like, oh, it's just, okay, we're just starting this now. Here, the run up's a little bit more granular. So let's kind of get to the back minute and a half of this song and listen to the way that it unfolds.
So I assume you can already guess the album I'm going to be comparing all that to. Hmm. Uh. What one of my standard go tos <laughs> for for dismember? Uh, no, for for just that kind of riffing, you know, a rolling double kick, kind of like simple but dramatic, uh, piercing lead guitar work within a, a sort of a Swedish death metal context. Oh, oh, wait, wait! I think I glimpsed it on the notes, but uh, yeah, early amount of Marth. Right? Yeah, it's one cent. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. definitely that's very one cent. There seems to be at least oh, the thing at the, the riff at the end with that kind of soaring. Yeah, blue, da, da. yeah I yeah. hear that. I hear that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think there's kind of a, a thread of Swedish death metal, but not the classic sweet death <laughs> records. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 Swedish death metal, but not that sweet death. Right? Yeah, it's like um. it, it's it's like it's not grave. It's not unleashed. It's not uh, entombed. To be fair, grave and unleashed are not the central. It's 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 really entombed and the early dismember that are the norm, or like carnage that are the normative sweet death. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, like unleashed and grave are like mongoloids doing their own thing in the corner. <laughs> I would say entombed or mongoloids too. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, in a different sense, I I mean with unleashed and uh, with unleashed and grave, I mean it in a complimentary sense yeah yeah um but so let's let's think about stuff that's like a little bit more marginal let's think about okay so what about the after the first couple dismember records uh you know the ones that a lot of people listen to but not everybody not like the first two let's talk about uh you know the first amana marth record which is a death metal record kind of fundamentally but it's also one that's really influenced by bolt thrower as we've talked about on the show previously uh, Bolt Thrower itself is a big influence on this record, um, but multiple eras of it. Uh, you know, there's some stuff that's very early kind of Realms of Chaos, and then you have some of their more refined later stuff. Um, so there, it, it seems that there is a, a circuit of contiguous musical ideas in this band. It's just executed in, in a fashion you might not think of the first time through. Um, so here I really like the way they, you know, I, I think that, um, sample that I chose here is a really good chunk of the kind of arc I want to hear from this band a mm-hmm, little bit more. Mm-hmm. Cause actually I think those the, early on in my sample, those kind of grittier, more war metal style riffs are mm-hmm. really good. There's some of the finer yeah. examples of that on the record and the way it's able to, they slowly morph, they become more melodic. And then when the big lead moment you know, concludes at the end of the song where you've got that big amount of Marth riff, it feels really earned. It doesn't feel like an arbitrary decision. I, I think, honestly, the, structurally, this song, I think, is toward the top of the pile for the record. And also, oh. just like as a side note, the, way, the track listing of this record is very strange. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because like the first... Wait, let me talk about the structure real quick. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, I think this is probably... It's got to be the highlight track. It's one of the two highlight tracks on the record. Um, and, you know, a thing that I could have said after my sample, but that goes with what you're just saying, is like, you know, one thing that sets them apart from an Armored Angel worship band is that at the end of... You know, they rock that big Enigmatize riff out for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, right where I fade out, right... Yeah. They start um they start sort of uh modifying it in ways that transition seamlessly into the blasting death metal riffs. 
And there's like 40, 40 seconds of that development that we cut out. Mm-hmm. And w- when when uh, Death Metal Guy's sample drops in, that's been a, there's been a seamless development to it. And in the death metal riffing there, you can still hear the... Um, you can hear that the death metal riff, the, the, the blasted death metal riff, which can sound kind of like incantation, turns around like the um, Armored Angel riff. Yeah. Um, it has a, it's just tremoloed, but it has that kind of flourishing octave leap, glistening turnaround bit hidden in it at the end. Um, and that's like, so you hear all the stylistic influences really fused there. Um, uh so yeah, and, and, and at the end of the track, right, as they return to the basic idea of the big riff, but none of those riffs in your sample actually repeat it. There are various different, like, uh, different sort of phrases that are embellishing on and building on the big riff. So when they're at their best, they do a really good job of creating a kind of continuity. Now let's talk about the track listing. Yeah, so I, I, there is... um almost a, a remarkable structural unevenness uh, between mm-hmm. songs on this record. Like, Moonlight Negredo is one of the most sophisticated. And mm-hmm. just, I think it's probably, it, you're probably right, it probably is the best song on the album. Um, v- really smart, organic riff development, just structurally very clean, very professional. There's other songs, like I think we both agreed that Oniric Abyss, the second track, is just, it, it's... Kind of a bummer. Like it's just yeah. yeah let's nothing. Nothing this, really happens on that song. You know. No. So like, I I like the first track. You don't. But I I, I like talk. the track. I just don't think it lines up with the expectations well, of the rest of the record. And when when I think about it, the album starts on a very strong note. There's a pretty cool kind of spooky. There's like a, a a spooky voice trick of the kind that you'd get in a new metal record, but it's like <laughs> really cool. It's like really cool, uh, and it produces exactly the kind of like rhythmic drop heaviness that that is best in those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a really fast kind of like really whiplash turnaround into like downbeat thrash riffing, uh, which I'm always a sucker for. But like. It, it, it has this kind of rolling fluidity that I think introduces the flowing double bass vibe that has the dominant thing on the record. Yeah. Or that it's like in the highlights. But I can't remember the second half of that track. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, yeah, on Iric Abyss, it's just, you know, I don't know, some, some blasty, blasty chords. Um, the Veil Descends, I don't remember at all. And then for me, the album really starts again at of gold and silver, which is I think the same for you. Exactly. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting that we both thought that way. Um, mm-hmm. I I paid attention on the veil descends because that's when the really melodic stuff starts. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's not especially well executed on that track. Yeah, it starts yeah. getting elaborated mm-hmm. on and executed a lot better with of gold and silver. So it's a very very strange. I I wonder if this is a record where it's like, you know, you've got some songs that are like maybe some sort of like leftover ideas from unfinished previous stuff kind of worked into mm-hmm. a song. And then maybe all the strongest stuff is when these guys really started working together. I don't, I don't know. There's a bunch, a bunch of possibilities. Yeah. Um, I mean, the cliche is this would be much stronger as a really crushing EP, 
But even if you cut off the two week, even if you dropped Oniric and the Veil descends, it's still clocking at twenty nine minutes. Which these days, if you wanted to, you that's could a full say length. Is a yeah. Full length. Yeah. yeah, that'd be fine. Yeah. And I, I think it would be a... also if you if you throw in some ambient bullshit, you know. Yeah, there right? you go. You get another eight minutes out of that, no problem. These, these, they'd probably do some pretty good ambient bullshit, though. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. But uh, so let's listen to of gold and silver. Um, so this is going to be kind of like getting back to the same things I've already been talking about. You're going to hear the one cent stuff. You're going to hear the bolt thrower again. And here you're going to hear pretty distinctly, at least to my ear, the uh, dismember circa death metal stuff, which is uh-huh. a record that you would probably really like. You should check that out. You should point. play that on the interlude because you keep yeah, mentioning sure. it. Yeah, yeah, because that's that's like a dismember record that basically nobody listens to, mm-hmm. even though it's probably one of my favorites. I- I think Sepulchral Curse likes that era of Dismember, but they're the only band I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it, it's weird stuff. It, imagine like, uh, imagine once sent, but like a little bit more death metal and played like a a chainsaw HM2 band. No, you know, that sounds good. Yeah, it's really cool. So let's listen to uh, the first couple minutes of of Gold and Silver, and hear you're going to hear the chromatic stuff and the melodic stuff blend together really well mm-hmm. in a way that I think this band should stick with and elaborate on in the future. So I, I really like the way they're kind of they're abutting these kind of more negged out, weird sounding incantation riffs against more melodic stuff. But the difference isn't so stark that it feels unnatural. 
Um, and I do like the idea of a death metal band exploring both sides of this kind of melodic divide and making songs that are all about kind of, you know, studying these subtle contrasts between the two. And I think that tends to work better on this record than the most punch you in the face snap moments where they're suddenly launching into really melodic stuff. Um, the, uh, well, and that fits with the idea of the sort of like dark metal or cryptic metal, which is not supposed to work in a, uh, you know, even the really melodic stuff is supposed to have something sinister or misty or, uh, um, uh, sort of archaic about it, mm-hmm. right? You, the, the, it's not supposed to, you know, a melodic, an early rotting Christ riff is not supposed to hit like a heavy metal riff. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's sort of uh, it hypnotically iterates um, and kind of uh, um, it, it, it's sort of it's shaped differently, it's rhythmically delivered differently. And it's delivered often in constant, constant blasted palm muted chug, mm-hmm. right? Um, so uh, there's there's all of this stuff happening that's sort of darkening and uh, uh, all sorts of stuff happening to 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 like, unlike the Norse bands, right? You're you're not sort of like harmonizing the glorious stuff in, or like unlike a Swedish band like Dawn, right, where yeah. you have these kind of glorious melodies that are harmonized in this very tense furious way, right, or like Gorgoroth or whatever, right it's, you just deliver the big fucking glorious melody, but like it's everything about how it's voiced and delivered makes it a lot more sinister and a lot more um, obscure Right, yeah, and so the the riff at the beginning of all of Golden Solo does that really well, and is a lot like a Running Christ riff. John, and it just kind of the rhythm there is very uh is very very much of that vein too. It's just kind of this like um head nod. Yeah, well, I think I I think something these guys appreciate in a pretty subtle way is that mm-hmm. I think a lot of people tend to forget that old death metal, uh, like, like eighties and nineties death metal is musically kind of flat in a way. It's very horizontal. Um, there are bands with songs that have big moments on them, but in a sense that was kind of the exception rather than mm-hmm. the rule. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, if you listen to, you listen, uh, okay, so yeah, you're going to listen to your big guys, you're going to listen to your Morbid Angel and your, your fucking Suffocation, and they're going to have big moments. But if you're listening to, let's say, like an autopsy record, or you're listening to, get even more obscure, you go to like Morpheus Descends or Resurrection, these sort of like second tier bands, you'll listen to entire records where nothing huge happens. It was mm-hmm. it was designed for you to dig that out of it. And the appreciation and right. recognizing the subtlety of when something big does happen that's not marked for you was kind of part of the game. And I like that quality on this record, where they're not marking off the big moment. You know, it is a more kind of flat, horizontal, organic experience. It's up for you to listen closely and decide 
when the important thing happens. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's that's good. I mean, what would be an example of a song where they do that? Like, in Moonlit Negretto, they obviously mark off the big moment, but in a way that I think they're allowed to because it sounds so sick. Well, yeah, that's, that, um, I mean, and that's, that's of course, sort of the climax of the record. I, I think that happens on The Veil Descends. They, mm-hmm. they mark that melodic part really clearly. I believe mm-hmm. it also happens on the title track, A Monument in Darkness. Mo- yeah, Monument in Darkness is less successful. Yeah, that, that comes in with a big uh, melodic trem riff that honestly sounds a little bit like some of the Malignant Voices bands. Um, yeah, well, I, I uh, think that these but, guys are maybe yeah. at their best when it's like, I don't want to say restrained, but just like a, a, a little bit more, I don't know, just straightforward. Yeah. Well, let's get to that. I mean, yeah. I mean, so on the one hand, maybe, so they're like, they're dealing with a spectrum of sound and maybe we're saying they need to bring it more to the center of that spectrum. On the one hand, you've got stuff that's kind of like rote, uh, sort of rote grinding. It's mm-hmm. often better than many other bands do with that kind of blasting war metal stuff. Like if they have a four chord, a churning four chord riff, the chords are maybe voiced in cool ways. Uh, maybe there's a lot of propulsion in the drumming, you know? It's certainly a decent version of it, but it's just not the highlight of the record. And ironically, those really aggressive parts are the parts where the band is hiding the most. I, yeah, you know, yeah. it's kind of those are the most res, res, recessed and obscure parts in a bad way, obscure in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, uh, you, yeah, maybe you have some moments that make too many concessions to modern sort of pop metal conventions, right? Where you're going to be like, mark the big hook riff, here comes the big melodic trem riff, or whatever, right? Uh, um, m- I think, like, Maleficent Creation is a good track. That's the mm-hmm. closest they have to a sk- really well-executed, straight-up war metal song. Um, I-, I think that one's quite good. Uh, but, um, but yeah, in terms of things that bring all these sides together, certainly Moonlight Negredo and, and I would say the last track. So let's get to my last sample. Um, it's... Uh, to, to build off what you said about the sort of the development and the continuum and not off one thing that happens is that when they play one of you know another way of putting it would be there's a kind of big riff that these guys should do and the kind of big riff they should do are the giant chug riffs mm-hmm. um, and when they do it when they have a song where they play the giant chug riffs um everything that follows them is stronger because they're speaking to those riffs. Um, it's a... Uh, oh, there's an interesting thing that happens where every time they do one of those massive riffs, the incantation, the, the blasty stuff that follows it, the riffs are, like, better. Not just do they hit... It's not just they hit harder from the contrast. The riffs that followed are like like better and ironically more dissonant and nasty than in other tracks. So let's let's try archetype. And uh, other thing I'll say before this is that every time I get this is the last track. Every time I get to it, I turn it up.
Yeah, that's really good. We are back from discussing the relationship between different species of butterfly and the uh, Sigma male grind set to bring you an independent release. Uh, this is an interesting one. This is a, a fan submission. It's weird to say it like that. Anyway, uh, this is a band that is called Evocator. Uh, sort of based out of Sweden, but with members in various places, including our one and only Nick from Hessian Firm, uh, the uh, famed dark metal label, uh, on vocals for this band. Uh, this is Evocator's first full-length record uh, called Ancient Cataclysm. Uh, very sick album art for this one. And uh, as I said, this is a uh, straight-up independent release. So... 
Uh, Eva Cater uh, put out an EP last year that I heard called Chronicles of Pestilence. I think that was Nick's first work with the band. And uh, relatively quickly after, given kind of the scope of this record, uh, we have the debut full length. So Eva Cater is branded as... uh, in essence, a doom death band, but that's not nearly covering the scope of everything that's going on. Um, obviously, there is a core of sort of melodic or Peaceville-influenced uh, doom death, but there's also a lot of just atmospheric black metal, little touches of prog sparingly dotted around. And uh, the overall sense that I get from this is like, it's almost weird to say, but it's like, how fast can a funeral doom record be? Because there's something about this record that it, it feels like a funeral doom album. Even though there's blast beats and the tempos are much higher than most funeral doom, there's something about the scope and the weight of this music that suggests that to me. Um, but, but what does that mean materially for the music? Uh, well, this is a four-track album that's, you know clocking in probably around 45 minutes and each of these songs is conceptual in nature and pretty vast in scope this is not riff based music this is not very heavy metal in the traditional sense but there is a lot that goes on in all of these songs despite the low tempos and despite the relative simplicity of a lot of it um This is a record that's more interested in constructing itself in almost a kind of neoclassical way. You know, these are songs with very distinct movements. Uh, You don't get the sense that this was plotted out from one riff to the next to the end of the song, but kind of built up in a more vertical, granular fashion with all the elements working in concert with each other. It's... It's interesting. This is it, this is a hard record to talk about before you've played samples, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, should we just should we just get to it? Well, let's let's take a moment. Well, let me get your initial impressions because there's going to be a lot to unravel uh, on this. I I think I've got there's some questions I want to ask about this music. Um, yeah. I mean, straight I think, up, I, I, I like this a lot. I think this is really interesting, and I'm really excited to see what happens after this. But. Yeah, I think there's a strong core of originality to this. I think this band is, like, this band has the idea thing in spades, mm-hmm. right? In terms of the the concept, okay, let's do uh, sort of death doom that moves at a somewhat faster tempo and that uses black primarily black metal guitar technique rhythm guitar technique and goes for this kind of continuous streaming uh streaming chords in a black metal way with this kind of faster tempos that's an interesting idea um just the idea of I, I kind of agree that the niche this falls into is probably funeral doom. That's an example of it being fast. Uh, I suppose um, another band we've talked about who, you know, another band doing fast doom would be Rotting Rotting Kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. 
But Riding Kingdom is much more of a down-the-line Death Doom band, uh, and they have a very different notion of what it means to push that music in the te- push push the tempo there, mm-hmm. right? They're playing like act. They're playing upper mid tempo. Eve. They're playing Death Doom at upper mid tempo, which sounds fast. Evocator are playing like Funeral Doom at lower mid tempo, which yeah. still sounds fast <laughs> for that, right? Um, and. Uh, you know, there's there's much more black metal here. It's it's an interesting idea, you know, having these sprawling songs uh, with these slowly accreting uh, waves of guitar, uh, theatrical transitions, um, uh, foregrounded vocals. You know, this band has some idea of the kind of thing they're going for. But I, I'm going to say, like, kind of like the Concilium, I think... Um, this band hasn't quite found its center. Uh, mm. I think my attitude toward this record is um, cordially critical. <laughs> that is, um, I basically like. I like a lot of. I think I would if you if you had to say, do you like or dislike this band? I'd say I like this band, and but I'd also add they're not that good yet. <laughs> Does that make sense? Kind of. Well, we were talking like, about this. I, we were, I'd like to. He- yeah, so say what you're going to say. Well, we were talking about this before uh, before we started recording, where I was like, mm-hmm. I think that I like this more just because I've got more time for, and I think I'm probably more acquainted with some of the sort of atmospheric doom stuff these guys are pulling from. Like, mm-hmm. I listened to a lot of stuff that was kind of like this, like in mm-hmm. the late 2000s. This resembles... It's, it's hard to pick up because there's a ton of influences here, but going to the Funeral Doom stuff, I'm hearing, like, some Elysian Blaze. I'm hearing maybe some Coliseum, which would be a really weird pull. And I'm hearing a lot of stuff that was on a label called Fire Doom Music back in the day. Um, and a lot of that had this sort of misty, atmospheric... Um, synth and vocal-led funeral doom thing going on. And I think I, I've got a soft spot for that style. You know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it, and, and that's something that's been out of fashion for a lot of years now, so it's interesting to hear this again. So I, I get what you're saying. I, I have some critical notes, but I think just like the bulk of this style is something I'm, I'm just... I, I've got more patience for it in general. Yeah, well, I would certainly like to hear them develop this. Um, uh, I think... Uh, I mean... I could do... Maybe I'll save my spe- some of my more specific critical notes for when we get into the samples. Um, mm-hmm. My overall thing might be... Uh, it's, it's kind of death doom, but the predominant flavor in many ways is black metal. Uh, and there's some question. There is no decision has yet been made about which is the, uh, the form to rule them all. What, mm-hmm. what style is creating the structural parameters for the music, right? It's not uh, like, I get you. Yeah. It's not like, oh, guys, you need to choose a genre, right? It's not the point. Of course, it's an interesting idea to try to blend all these things, and I can see the common threads they're getting at, right? But yeah, you see what I mean, right? It's a little bit anarchic, right? There's got to be some 
it's they're they're they have to figure out a a hierarchy and a definite structure for like what is the black metal stuff the most important stuff is the or is the idea of this as a doom band doing black metal-y things the most important thing what is setting the uh what is providing the forms and what's providing the content, right? Uh, Are we dealing with... You get that? I, I get what you're saying. I think... Doom structures and pacing and black metal riffs, or do we want the music to really work more like very slow black metal? Those are two kind of different things. I, I think I get what you're saying. And what's the role for death metal in all of this? Because there's very little here that you could isolate as a death metal part. Yeah. Well, I mean... It... Well, I mean that part of it. I mean, death doom is sort of like a term of art, you know. No, I I, yeah. I know it's just like heavy aggressive. Doom. It, it doesn't really yeah. refer to. It mostly doesn't refer to death metal at all anymore. Mm-hmm. But, but right. I would I would say I get where you're coming from in, in terms of like what's kind of the structural conceit behind this. I think though, my read is that this feels like a band that makes these sort of structural decisions from song to song. Um, because I think that there's both of our samples on both sides of the table here are from the same song. So clearly it's like, we agree. Those are the best ones. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's a matter of picking a structural conceit so much as there's just different levels of execution, obviously, because I would, I'll go out on a limb and say, I bet your least favorite song is the same as me, which is owed to Osiris. The third one. Yeah, kind of. A, that one's kind of a snoozer. Um, yeah. Uh, Ruination of Alashia has kind of has I the like first track. Yeah. It's got one really dramatic moment, and uh, some of the... I, I kind of get what it's doing. I, I When I listened to that one, I was like, okay, I get what this is doing. I find it a little slow, mm-hmm. also not, not in the literal sense but you know a slow listen yeah but it it's doing an interesting thing uh then we get into tremors of poseidon and i'm like oh shit this is sick yeah yeah so let's listen to that one huh yeah let's listen to tremors of poseidon because holy fuck and so that now we can start breaking down the constituent elements um and then Mm -hmm. because i think when we break it down more maybe we'll be able to kind of unravel how this stuff is constructed a little bit better. So, mm-hmm. Tremors of Poseidon, uh, I've got the opening of this track. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're like, oh, this is the best moment. <laughs> you know, I was going to pick this one. It's true. Uh, well, you write your notes earlier and you'll be able to pick the fun ones, Black Metal uh... <laughs> Alright, so Tremors of Poseidon, let's go to the beginning of this track. And this is, yeah, this is probably the single finest moment on the record. Mm-hmm.
So yeah, we gotta we, we gotta talk about the fucking vocal performance on this record. Yeah, so this one's weird, right? Because the vocalist is like a good friend of ours, and actually currently a patron of Terminus. Um, although for the most part of the last few years has not been, but he's you know he's been on our Discord since the beginning, right? This is this is like our buddy. So there's of course there's some bias here. However, I think we were both expecting to just hear him. I don't know, doing some cool vocals, right? Yeah. He's a death metal guy, and he also, I know, he's listens to, you know, classic heavy metal and has respect for those vocalists. So maybe I expected some death metal vocalists and vocals and some, you know, maybe some more heavy metal stuff. Mm-hmm. Not just, like, a full-spectrum performance that sounds like Greek tragedy. <laughs> it's so fucking good. It's, it's like I, we've heard some of his work before, and it was yeah. solid. But I, I think maybe it's just because it's a band like this where he gets to do everything mm-hmm. that you really get to hear the range. Um, I mean, and just that whole sequence, you know, the, the way he responds to, uh, you know, just the maneuvers of the guitars and the music as a whole in kind of unexpected ways sometimes, you know, going harsher over the clean guitar passage, stuff like that. Oh, that that part is crushing. It's crushing. I also am surprised by the tone of his death metal vocals. He sounds like, I I don't know what I had expected, but it sounds more like, his death metal tone sounds like the kind of death metal vocals I like. Like kind of crusty, uh crusty deep guttural puke kind of thing you know what i mean like the bolt thrower thing yeah. or the uh they're they're like very raw ragged death metal vox mm-hmm. and um, and he's and i've heard other stuff he's done where he's able to do more traditional kind of growly stuff so everything's been very carefully considered here um and i i've talked he, to I, well i think that the big thing the big influence here is i i've talked to nick a lot about this and we both he and I both basically agree Attila from Mayhem is like mm-hmm. yeah. the apex metal vocals, and mm-hmm. you can hear that so clearly here, the influence. The declamation during, I can't make out all the lyrics, but the the declamation during that part uh, is so cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> when he's just sort of like speaking in this kind of like pitched up kind of, uh, you know, heroic oratory, right? 
Um, it's like a better it, realization of what Maniac was doing on Grand Declaration. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it and it like when you hear that, it feels like a character from Herodotus is speaking or something. You know, Herodotus <laughs> being like a historian and an early historian, but he writes in this kind of epic mythopoeic mode. Or like one of the, I, it might be he might be speaking as Poseidon there, right? It could sound I like one that, of. Yeah. You know, like one of Aeschylus's gods speaking or something. You know, not not that the poetry is on the same level, not that the lyrics are on the same level poetically, but it completely captures the mood. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'd like to read the lyrics more. Do you know if he did the lyrics? Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't talked to him about it. I'll, I'll have yeah. to ask him after you know, we record. It's but. you know, at, you know, it's but yeah, it's it's simultaneously evoking the actual ancient reference classical early classical reference points and also just like fucking Leonidas in the 300 movie, right? It's yeah. just yeah, it's it, and this is this is such a great section because it packs in like all the different styles, you mm-hmm. know, into a, a kind of a compact territory. But the thing is something I feel like we notice across the record is that like uh when Nick is on, it tends to be in the points where the band is most on. Because musically, this is a fucking outstanding passage, too. Yes. Uh, you know, it, you've got that big crushing doom riff to open things. It slips into that kind of pantheist-style clean guitar passage there. And what I really like, and what, what's really present across the record, but very distinctly here, is the sort of iterative quality of some of the melodic work in the guitars here. There's not a ton of distinct riffs per song on this record, but they'll tend to take one, deconstruct it, manipulate it, and uh, kind of explore all corners of its territory for a couple Mm -hmm. minutes at a time. And there's definitely places where that works better than others, but here that really lands. I mean, what you're hearing here is basically all iterations on the same general melodic idea, but it explores this sort of theatrical territory in a super effective way. It's like when this album fires on all cylinders, it's it's as good as anything, you know. In oh the, yeah, in that's that's firing on cylinders I didn't know existed. You know, <laughs> like that that part is, and you know what we were saying about the vocals. It's like, you know, one of the problems with this album is the vocals are too good. <laughs> like, um. He, he sounds like, I was t- saying during the sample, like, we are not just saying this because he's our friend, right? We have to bracket it, yeah. right? We, you, you, you show your respect for your friends by giving By disavowing shit. your relationship with them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and by giving them serious constructive criticism, right? Um, but, like, you know, not giving unwarranted praise. He sounds like he's in a tier one band. Yeah. Right. Like he's in a canonical band. Right. It's it's um it's pretty crazy. Um. So this band, uh, you know, there's the band almost faces a challenge of um. A, how do you, how do you bump the vocal? I'm not sure the band realizes that the vocals are the forefront of this music. So how do you how do you compose it in a way to consciously boost the vocals to the front? Well, I you know what I mean. These songs aren't written to foreground vocals. I kind of like the next that, album. Sh- the next album. Well, 
I kind of like, um, I, I think in a situation like this, especially with how theatrical the style is, it would be easy to push that way out in front. But the way, the way the vocals kind of sit in the mix, just, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a hair quieter than you might think is appropriate, I actually kind of like. I think it contributes to the whole maintaining these very kind of distinct, individualized atmospheres between okay, the songs. No, that, that's a fair point, but I, I guess maybe what I'm getting at more is like the question about the undecided questions of format. What's the leading voice? In What's the, the leading music? voice? And like, do we, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but that passage is phenomenal. Um, and you know, the part you're comparing to Pantheist, I think you mean the do, 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 yeah, that do, little clean guitar do, do. break. Yeah. I, I don't hear that as clean guitar. That's like super distorted, isn't it? Comparatively to you know the the big fine kind of you know funeral doom chords, I, I get what you mean. Okay, the, yeah, the, the part that's the not, lead break, you know, the part that's not metal. Yeah, right? the yeah. part that's not <laughs> the part that's not like crushing fuzz, right? Yeah. Um, wh- so what that part sounds like a lot to me is um like breaks in Sonic Youth tracks. I was on, getting like, a little bit of that too, not, sister not as a, and. Harmonic, this sort of harmonic tapping on Sister or Daydream Nation or something. Yeah, I was hearing something like that. I didn't think to pin it on Sonic Youth in particular, but some sort of you know, oddball post-punk edge or something. It was it's, it's interesting. It's Sonic Youth and just goth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think which and the goth stuff is obvious. You know, Sonic Youth is a. Uh, a hair's breadth away from goth, really. They're just one of these American bands listening to British goth bands and, you know, producing a version of it that will play better in art galleries. But, um, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's not to knock their own innovations, right? Good band. But, um, the, uh, it, it, that, the, the, it fits naturally, right? Because the goth was always a big presence in the Peaceville bands. Yeah. Right? Um, uh, and, the interesting thing, right, is between the uh, strong bass playing during that passage uh, and Nick's vocals, right, the, when, when he hits that, he brings out, like, just the, the really guttural stuff there, that passage hits really hard. Um, and in terms of the textural guitar work, I think that is much stronger than most of the guitars on this record. So the, I want to bring, that's my main criticism here. Um, and we'll get that to my next sample. Um, it's, uh, the, although, you know, the format here seems to be doom with sort of a funeral doom atmospheric tone, uh, the guitar, there seems to be a conscious choice to like, let's make the guitar very black metal um, and we want to try to, like, uh, to do that, you want, like, this continuous streaming guitar sound, but it has to be kind of slow. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the guitarist has an interesting creative approach for this. All these songs have kind of a triple feel. And he's doing these kind of staggered, churning syncopations over it, right? Um, That's a cool idea, and it's really good for building tension. Um, It's, uh, but 
the problem is the riffs themselves are super bare bones. Basically, for the most part, they're these kind of like just orthodox black metal chords. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it sort of creates this thing where the record is this homogenous, continuous sort of triplet trudge. Um, but it's not getting the sort of, it doesn't get the drive that homogeneity creates in black metal. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you could compare it to something that might even be a reference point for these guys is Mem uh, Memory and Destiny by Graveland, which is almost a doom record. Mm -hmm. um, that is like triplets for the most part. Uh, and it, it's these very slow, churning triplet black metal riffs. But it's got a lot of drive. Um, yeah. It's not as committed to being doomy in tempo. Mm -hmm. This record is constantly sort of holding itself back and turning in on itself. Um, mm, okay. Yeah, and and so it creates, and it and what that does also is it means it so it doesn't really work as driving slow black metal, and it also doesn't really work as doom because rhythm is really important in doom, right? Mm. Rhythmic like variation, the ability to do these big dropout moments with architectural long riffs, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or the ability to have huge heavy death doom drops where, you know, you roll into a chug or you syncopate or whatever, right? This band doesn't avail themselves of that rhythmic range very much at all because they're kind of invested in these black metal rhythmic ideas that aren't really black metal in. So, um... Let's listen to, um, I, I want to take the sample from the end of Tremors of Poseidon. At the beginning, you'll hear kind of an example. I'm not going to linger on the parts that I think are not as good on this record. There's no point to. Uh -huh. Just with the riffs at the beginning of this, you'll hear this kind of listless, orthodox stuff that just kind of slews back and forth. There's a lot of that throughout the record. You'll hear that, but then you'll hear them make use of, make rare use of a very successful Death Doom strategy.
so yeah, um, at the end, right? They're they're sort of back to those uh, back to that kind of um, orthodox half step kind of chord progression, uh, but it's much heavier in part because of the vocals, uh, in part because the guitarist is doing kind of cool chiming stuff again. Mm-hmm. But um, the highlight there is just when they play four four. Like <laughs> it's a strategy that it's it's like it's kind they're kind of like deliberate. This I would almost say like the band right aside from the vocalist as composers. It's this is a very thoughtful and deliberate record, and the concept is so thoroughly thought out that it's just very difficult to execute, and some of the thought is getting in the way of the execution. So they seem to have refused to use some of the obvious tools, like the 4-4 bulldozer beat, right? Mm-hmm. The thing that, like, all of Rotting Kingdom's music is that... Right? And, um, you know, when they do that, well, then they get this kind of... Um, they just get this cool kind of sawing downbeat chords, and it locks into a heavier groove... And then when the sort of more sinister chords come back at the end, they come in heavier. It's, I would love to just hear more basic stuff like death doomy stuff like that. Hmm. Right? It's interesting because this is such a, a Rorschach test kind of situation. Cause the stuff that scans to you is orthodox mm-hmm. um, scans to me as like very contiguous within this, like, specific field of doom that I think is an influence here. And I, they can, I mean, both can be correct. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's like a lot of that sort of kind of droning half step stuff uh, was, I mean, that was very standard to a lot of these like mid to late two thousands doom bands, especially from like uh, Sweden and Finland. Uh, Like I mentioned Coliseum, uh, Doom Us did some of that. Um, Pantheus did some of that. Uh, mythological Cold Towers. There's this whole scene that wasn't really a scene. It's only in retrospect that you realize a lot of these guys are playing around with similar ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's hard to tell just listening to this where some of those things are coming from. There's a lot of parallel evolution going on, uh, especially in the 2000s, as we've talked about mm-hmm. on the show plenty. Um but it's it's just it's really interesting how this record as a whole scans because I see this as so completely contiguous within this like doom history that I have, and you see it completely contiguous within a black metal history that you have. So well, I mean, you're probably right about the doom stuff. It's just like I, I guess here's the question. Um, you're probably right. It's part of this doom tradition. I don't know. And then I've just got to say, like, well, why are all these Doom bands playing, like, underdeveloped, troped black metal riffs? Um, because I, I think this is a case where a lot of stuff in this style was... Not to get on too big of a tangent, but I, I think a lot of this this original era of this kind of thing was the product of a lot of doom bands trying to step outside, trying to be like, okay, so how do we how do we develop songs that are not 
in a sense, heavy metal songs? How do we make Mm -hmm. them more like, you know, the classical or ambient music we aspire to be? Mm -hmm. And a lot of that came with sort of de-emphasizing riffs. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but I think the sort of gestural quality you're hearing on a lot of this stuff is a deliberate choice. I don't think it's for lack of more precise ideas. I think it's deliberately pared down. Okay, no, I get that. So let me be very let me be very clear. I'm not saying these guys can't write a riff. I mean, there are parts of the record that clearly prove otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. But to me, especially when they're doing the more gothy stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, that's kind of what I mean by too thoughtful for its own good. This seems like some very conscious minimalism, right? Yeah, and yeah, I'm just that's like, possible. Yeah. and I'm just like, why this minimalism? <laughs> <You> <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I get it as a product of, you know, building songs sort of exclusively off of the whole idea of movements, but your take is fair too. So. Yeah. So, I, I mean, point being, but, you know, if it were me, like if, if, if I had to give some completely unsolicited advice, it'd be like, you'll get the black metal-y feel or as it were, maybe the atmospheric doom feel. Uh, without any of these sort of corded half-step riffs. You -hmm. can do it without any of that, just by having this kind of rumbling bass, maybe even more death metal rhythm section stuff, more chug, always more chug, Um, and and just let the lead guitar part do the gothy arpeggio stuff. You're really, really good at that. And if you combine that with this kind of just uh, tectonic heavy low end and you leave some more room for rhythmic space in it and change-ups in it, it will be re- it will be much heavier, and it will also sound like more like black metal. Well, you know what? That, that leads me into a, a, a great segue, black metal guy. So ah. what about this as an idea? Um, what, what if um, it's not about making it riffier? What if it's just about creating more precise, defined ideas with the material they already have. Um, So let's go to Bane of Hattusa, which has, Mm. I think, just from a guitar perspective, one of the most interesting riffs on the record. Um, So what you're going to hear is a, a very dissonant, ugly chord voicing being used, moved around the fretboard to etch out a very consonant sort of chord progression. Mm-hmm. Um, very French kind of technique, very sort of extreme doom technique. Um, but I really love this part. So I'm wondering if maybe this, like if this example would fit more with what you're looking for in terms of let's increase the specificity, let's get more out of what's already there.
Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, I really, really like that part. Um, that is a a sort of guitar technique that I'm just a big sucker for. Um, just that the immediate contrast between this very simple, very consonant chord progression and this really discordant chord voicing, uh, which is all kind of covering up the fact that the real riff is on the bass there the the whole time. The bass mm-hmm. is going all over the fucking place, doing this really kind of winding, elaborate melody as we're kind of, you know, kind of drunkenly swaying with these really ugly chords. It's a very, like, uh, very French black metal kind of thing. Um, yeah, well, there's a case. It's See, that actually is a fully worked out black metal riff. It's just slowed down, right? Yeah. It's not a particularly... Com- it's not like... It's not a fancy French black metal riff, but why would it need to be, right? Yeah. That's a... It's, it's a, like... It's a... It's a sort of fully fleshed out French style, you know, uh, chord, like chord progression riff. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that's one way of thinking of doing this style is like, okay, actual black metal riffs played in slow motion. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, you know, another idea I had different from the other one was like, why don't they just play Satanic War Master riffs, but really slow, (laughs) right? And that's 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 your answer to everything. (laughs) No, no, I'm often telling people to stop playing the Satanic War Master riffs. This is, but the point being, like, this is kind of close, right? This is like, why not play the Mutilation or Celestia riff really slow? Yeah, which is, I, I, that's also what I always say is play the Mutilation riff more, but. Yeah, play the mutilation riff really slow. Um, but like it, 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 it works here. It's there's much more. I like, you know, what you said before is true. There's much more specificity to this idea. A lot of those other sort of like two or three chord ideas, right, are very interchangeable and kind of by design, right? Mm-hmm. This is, uh, this is a part with its own specific shape, um, and. Uh, its own sort of dramatic arc to it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I th- and, and, and more than that, like, um, something, there's something different about the way it's being played. So this is very much in the triplet mode, the triple time mode that dominates most of this record. Mm-hmm. However, it's, you know, whereas a lot of it has this kind of over subtle, staggered syncopation to it, mm-hmm. that kind of, uh, you know, is meant to keep it doomy. Here, I, it's, I think he's just downpicking every chord in the rhythm part. Well, yeah, like, and there's also uh, just an odd, like, swing timing thing going on. It, this this little, almost like, you know, scotch snap thing. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, you know? Okay, yeah. So there's, so so it's heavily swung, but it's it's not doing this kind of, like, subdividing thing he does elsewhere on the record. Yeah. Uh, and and he's just like hitting the downbeat. He's just you know down picking hard, uh, and it creates this sort of um, and there's enough reverb on it that each rep each repetition stacks mm-hmm. right. And where a reverby doom metal band might just let a chord ring right here, each of those chords is ringing out over the one uh, after it. Um, so the riff really accumulates weight as it goes because there just start to be more and more echoes stacking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
and that's heavy and cool. You know, here again, the picking is kind of post-hardcore too. It's, it's it's interesting. There's a lot of there's a whole melange of different techniques being uh, being explored on this record, and I, I think that can be both a strength and a weakness at times. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess what I'm thinking of by post-hardcore, I mean like ISIS. Yeah, like some of the best moments on this record that have this kind of like tech, you know, almost black metal-y sort of. Uh, ringing cording with like free moving driving bass lines mm-hmm. and stuff like that right that's a and sort of death growls that's like old isis yeah it's oceanic yeah yeah, yeah. so th- i mean uh let's go to um g- go to later in uh benefitusa and um i guess uh, here's a place where you know I've sort of I've sort of complained that this band isn't necessarily using the rhythmic space, isn't using the rhythmic opportunities available to them within this more within these more spacious slow tempos. Um, here's a place where they start generating more rhythmic contrast and also doing that kind of heavy chord stacking stuff we just heard in Death Metal Guy's sample. Um, And this is, you know, toward the climax of the song and the album, and here it really works, and it's quite heavy. So yeah, 
there you can hear them sort of go from their usual sort of very deliberately restrained triplet feel to just a more typical, uh, more typical swinging, grooving, heavy 6A kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or even kind of like noise rocky, like standard noise rock syncopations. Um, it's not... It, 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 it's very much like certain kinds of standard grooves and even kind of standard reforms, but it works. Uh, and it's high contrast with what's around it. 